Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That I need to be a better people person in regards to um, really taking care of people before the wedding. And the way you do that is to you learn more about them and you care about them even before you meet them. And that is going to help your photography, and it's going to actually—it's going to help every part of the process of running your business. If you if you just take more of an effort to figure out who your clients are and how to serve them better. Welcome to the Way Up North podcast. My name is Jacob. If you've listened to all eight episodes so far, you've heard uh, Jasmine Starr, Nessa Kay, Cat Williams, Ed Pierce, Fer Juaristi, Andrea Lindquist, James Mose, and Sam Blake. And uh, two weeks from now, you can hear the last one of the ten speakers, uh, Jonas Peterson. But this week, uh, Cole has talked to the first and only duo we have uh, at Way Up North 2015, Ben and Erin Chrisman. Or uh, they're actually a studio, but Ben and Aaron are the two in charge, so to speak, of uh, Chrisman Studios. In uh, this episode, Ben is, uh, or I think it's Ben anyway, uh, he's clicking with a pen in the background, which I tried to edit out as much as I could, but I apologize in advance if that annoys anyone. I probably shouldn't even have brought it up, because now that's all you'll be hearing, but uh, yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, these are uh, two of the very best in the business with a lot of experience and a lot to share. So we're really, really happy that they're coming to Way Up North in October. Here we go, Ben and Erin Chrisman, August 2015. So Ben and Erin, how are you? Doing great. Where are you? Currently, we're in Charleston, South Carolina, though I don't think a lot of people know that yet. So why wouldn't people know that? We have been in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past seven years. That's where we primarily built our business together, and we just moved to Charleston um, about five weeks ago. Uh, my family's here. We were looking for um, just a new city to live in. It's a really fun city, and uh, thought we'd make a, start fresh, a fresh start here. And Ben, where are you originally from? I grew up kind of all over the place. I was born in Tennessee, then I was raised in Kentucky, then Florida, um, and then predominantly in New Mexico. Um, and then after I left New Mexico, I went to California, and that's where we've been for the last seven years. But all my kind of photography stemmed from my time in New Mexico. In New Mexico. Well, that's interesting. So, so you both kind of like have a connection to the West Coast, but basically East Coast was sort of uh, where you were destined to live, do you think? Well, Aaron's parents still live here, so it was always in my mind that we would be, we would probably end up here because her parents are here, and we, you know, we would like hanging out with them. So we just kind of preempted that a little bit and came back earlier. Um, so, uh, and and honestly, a lot of our work is back east. A lot, maybe like twenty, thirty percent of our work is on the west coast, 
or California, but maybe not even that much. So we're constantly kind of on an airplane somewhere, and generally that is more back east than it is anywhere else. Yeah, so it just made a lot of sense. Okay, so so seven years ago is when you, you moved to California originally? Is that when you started your business? And when you started your business together, did you start it together, or were you separate entities? Yeah, well, I had a business in Santa Fe, wedding photography business in Santa Fe, and Aaron had a wedding photography business in Atlanta. And then we met and became friends, and then we became kind of more than friends. And so I was in the process of moving to San Francisco, and then I convinced Aaron to move out with me. And so um, we started our business together right then. So we kind of went from just uh, you know knowing each other kind of to starting a business and you know almost being married from that from the very get go. Oh wow! So did you meet online, or how did how did that come to be? Yeah, there's this photography dating service. Wow, um, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> it actually is a brilliant idea. <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> um, no, no, we met at a wedding. We were both guests at a wedding. Um, and Photographer's uh, wedding. A photographer's wedding. And it took a while after that wedding to you know, kind of realize what was going on. Um, but after that happened, then it was, uh, then it was the... So, like, well before that, Aaron... What what were you doing, uh, maybe in university and things like that? Like well before you kickstarted a, a career in wedding photography, what what had you planned to be, or what were you aspiring to be? I had aspired to be a newspaper reporter for like most of my life, and so that's what I did after college. Studied that in college, did that right after college for uh, five five years in at a newspaper in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and then. Um, started working with a photographer at the paper at the time who, through him, I eventually joined this company in Atlanta called LaCour, and so it was the four of us for many years, and um, until I left for San Francisco. So you, you kind of were on track, if you want to put it that way, for like a professional career in, uh, in journalism, and then you detoured a little bit into weddings? Yeah, I was a reporter, and I was just, then I started working sort of as an assistant for um, this photographer, and just started taking on more and more tasks at, at weddings and other shoots. We did corporate shoots as well. Okay. And then I learned a lot about lighting and flash, and just the, I just basically learned on the job. So um, you know, as as these things tend to happen to wedding photographers, it just took on a life of its own. And I, before I knew it, I was a wedding photographer. And Ben, you you had a similar background, I'm guessing. It wasn't it within photojournalism. You you kind of like learned the ropes a little bit as well. Right. Yeah, I was a photojournalism major in school. And just like Aaron, I worked in newspapers. And, you know, we were both 27 when we coincidentally uh, quit newspapers. Um, I'm a little bit older than Aaron, but not really that much. So about the same time, we ended up leaving newspapers and going into weddings um, full time. Um, but yeah, I was I was planning on being a photojournalist too forever. And um, then I decided I didn't want to work in newspapers. I wanted to be a war photographer, but that's you know that's probably safe to say that I should not be a photographer because I wouldn't be around right now. And, <laughs> well, I um, I'm pretty sure I'd... <laughs> so, so the, I would say like the deepest conversation I've ever had about you two, if you want to put it like that, was with Farewell Risty. And we were driving in the Yukon of all places, uh, going to a wedding. And uh, it, I don't know how it came up, but we just started chatting about you. And in his little Mexican accent. He's like, yeah, man, they're such clever business people. And basically, aside from your photography, he more or less praised your business skills. And when we 
think about like Chrisman Studios, or at least when I think about it, I think it's a uh, it's sort of the gold star within the wedding community of of how to have a have a studio. So I'm curious, like, if maybe you could like describe your studio setup a little bit for people who don't know anything about it. <laughs> I think that's really funny. People think we're good at business. <laughs> we think we're horrible at business. Um, we feel like we're still learning business. Yeah, every it's, day. yeah. it's, it's constant, like you know, reinvention and trying to. It's constant change and struggle. Struggles. Um, there's nothing easy about running, you know, photography business in general, but especially, you know, having having people that work with you. Um, you know, honestly, where we lucked out is we work with really good people. Um, we have a set of standards that we look for in people, and we go by that first before we think about money or anything like that. So, you know, we want them to be positive. We want them to be hardworking. We want them to be eager to go after things. We want them to be critical thinkers. We want them to always put the client first. And so those are the aspects that we search for in people. And so we would never even consider having a social uh, associate who was selfish to begin with or more concerned about money than taking good pictures. So I think that's kind of the basis of our whole business. Um, yeah, I mean, we could have 20 photographers if we really wanted it to be all about money, um, but the, having the right person with the right fit for our company was, was, was crucial to us. So as far as I see it, uh, you have Mauricio and JVS doing photography under your brand. And then right. uh, Victor's doing video, right? Yeah, um, Vlad is doing video. I'm sorry, Vlad. Yeah. So you take a guy like, like if we're just going to stick with the photography for now, like a guy like Mauricio and JVS, like these guys are made, like they're very good. Like they're, they could hold their own with their own brands and, and they have, and maybe they still do. So I'm curious, like how do you get guys that talented who are world-class and how do you get them to be comfortable working under you know, your name, basically. Well, I think of it more as like working with us more than working for us to begin with. So we try to include them with all like the important kind of decisions. Um, I mean, just on a case by case, like Mauricio started when he was 21 with us. He's 27 now. Um, so, I mean, he came from Nicaragua. And so he learned that photography actually through Photoshop. Um, in Nicaragua. So it wasn't until he came to the United States that he actually started taking pictures. Um, so we've gotten to work with Mauricio kind of from the very beginning. And it, he, along with our, along with Aaron Morris, who was with us for five or six years as well, they kind of grew up together. They're, they're like a week apart in age. So we really just got lucky with those two guys being, being just being so talented and good people from the very beginning. Um, I mean, Mauricio started out, he was just going to be our Photoshop guy. He was our intern, and he was going to do our Photoshop, and that was it. And he just, he made, a, he made it very clear that he was, had a natural fascination with photography. And um, we just brought him to a couple of weddings just to kind of see what he could do. And honestly, it was, it was nothing in the beginning. He had not uh, really had any experience with cameras. So we gave him one of ours to borrow, um, gave him some lenses to borrow, and uh, kind of started showing him the basics. And then... Ben let him borrow one of our cameras kind of permanently, I guess, and just told him to shoot as much as he could, shoot every day, and, and that's exactly what Mauricio did, and I, I think that's why he has become so good so fast because of the practice. And he's also very naturally curious about things, so he would go on YouTube, and he's very much like a, a millennial like that, like his learning process, he thinks, oh, let's go on YouTube, and 
he will re and he'll watch video after video about art history. So being on a 27, he's very well rounded when it comes to the background of photography, where it came from, what's good, what's might be a trend, what's not going to stick around. So he has a big picture of what photography is, which I think is very rare for wedding photographers right now because most wedding photographers just get in and they look at you know what's going on on Junebug or Stanley Pretty or whatever, and they think that's the wedding photography. Mauricio has a very good grasp on the history of, of just photography in general. Of art. And I, yeah, and art. So I think that's helped separate him because from the very beginning, so he and Aaron started playing at a different level than I think a lot of people do just because of their awareness and their, their, their internal drives to get better. And, well, if I, on the other side of the spectrum, if I, if I know as much as I think I do about JVS, he's like the other end of the spectrum. Like right. in that he's a super experienced guy um, who can do anything like he's he's ridiculous. So like you two as the, you know, the employers, because you are the employers, although you work alongside them in your team. Like, how do you how do you take a guy with that experience and have him work under your brand or with your brand? Pardon me. Well, when Jensen joined, um, it was kind of strange for us because Aaron and I grew up looking like we looked to JBS for like inspiration when we first started shooting. Like when the documentary photography kind of became popular, Joseph was one of the leaders of that movement. Like so he was the guy you looked at back in like when I was starting at least like two thousand three, two thousand four two thousand three I guess, you would look at Joseph Victor Stefanchik, you would look at Joe Busink, Dennis Reggie, um, those Deputy. guys. They were all Amy Deputy we went. Yeah, those are all those guys were all on the same level. Yeah, and so he was um Joseph was a hero to us back then, and before we even knew each other. So um, for me, it was kind of weird in the beginning taking him on with our company because he's still such a huge presence to me. Yeah. So when you took on this format of of a studio, what did you what have you learned now that you that you didn't know when you first started about being employers of artists? Uh, one, I don't think there's a lot of money in associates. Um, I don't think there ever will be unless you, I think there are guys that do it really well um, and have an associate business to make money. We're not one of them. Um, we want to make money for our guys, but we're not trying to make a lot of money for ourselves off it. Um, we do our best and we try to make a little bit. Most of it, you know, either goes to the guys or it goes to covering the expenses. Um, or our time, our time managing the whole thing. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, on like on that note, I'm, I'm curious then, like, it's never healthy to run a business with money as the motivator, like the business will fail inevitably. So it's clear that that's not the motivation for you to have a studio set up. So what would you say is the motivation for you two to have a studio at all? Well, it, in the beginning, the way it started was Aaron and Mauricio, Aaron Morris, were, they were 21 year old kids um, and they loved taking pictures and we wanted to give them a career. Oh, cool. That's how it started. Okay. Um, we, Aaron and I had never had any intention of running a big business. We were, we were just Ben Christmas Photography that, back then. And then it didn't make sense for it to be under my name, so it changed to Christmas Studios. Um, okay. We've never owned a studio. We've always worked at our house. Christmas Studios is just a name. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I realized that. And Well, if we're to like just back up a little bit here, and I, I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place with the studio no, questions. But you said that in the beginning it was, it was Ben Christmas Photography, and, and it made sense to you know, evolve the brand into Chrisman Studios. Like when, at that point, 
when did you make that change from being Ben Chrisman Photography uh, to Chrisman Studios? What year was that? That was I mean, 2009. Yeah, early 2009. Basically, when Aaron and I started. When we incorporated officially, right, the two of us. Right. When Aaron moved to San Francisco and I went from a sole proprietor of Ben Chrisman Photography to an S-Corp, we changed it to Christmas Studios. And that's when it became, that's when things changed. Because I didn't want us going to a wedding and people thinking that, you know, I was the boss when I wasn't the boss. Aaron and I were in it 50-50. We are equals. So it was important to me that yeah, things yeah. changed. That's an interesting point that you just brought up because, um, like, with our business with Nordica, um, we've dabbled in the waters, I guess you could say, of, of the studio setup, and we have some talented people doing weddings um, under the Nordica brand. So it's not Jakob or I, it's somebody else. So when they go to a wedding, they're basically photographing the wedding as Nordica photography. So that's a strange adjustment for us to have, have dealt with having somebody work under, you know, our baby. So what was it like for you two when you had someone work under your name or your baby for the first time? You know, in the beginning, it comes down to just it gets better over time. The first few weddings, I mean, I was extremely nervous because I was the one who set everything up. I managed the associates, and so I, I'm the one, I'm the liaison between them and their clients. And so, you know, you worry about the things like, will they get there on time? Will they forget something that they needed? And um, how will they deal with if there's a crisis or some some kind of problem on the wedding day? Um, and so we, you just kind of sit at home and cross your fingers and hope that they come back with uh, positive stories. And and after, you know, they they always did. And we always got great feedback from the clients, truly. And so, um, well, this is what happens: they come back and they say, "Oh, wasn't that good? I didn't do a good job." And every single wedding is great, and we've heard that consistently for five or six years now. That's true. Like the first few times, Mauricio and Aaron would both say, "We did terribly. We couldn't come up with any shots. Our portraits sucked." And so we were like, "What?" But then you see the photos, and they're amazing. And so we learned that the, that that's a, another great quality we loved about them is that they were very hard on themselves, and they still are, yeah, which drives helpful. them to be better all the time. Yeah, and they're good problem solvers. They figure they're resourceful. Um, they're very good with people. Um, it goes for you know blood to blood. So like everyone that meets blood thinks he's the sweetest person they've ever met in this, their lives, and they basically right. Um, so yeah, they're they're genuine. They're good people, people. And that's why I, we don't. I'm not too scared. I'm not worried about cameras going down because they can figure. They they know how to fit, deal with that stuff. It's the people, um, you know, issues that can hurt you. And we've got the like the greatest guys when okay. it comes to in that regard. Um, but I wanted to say one thing real quick. Even though we don't make a ton of money off the associates. But what it does is it creates our brand awareness. So instead of just having referrals from just weddings from me and Aaron, we get to have referrals from you know the other guys, which helps all of us together. So it's very much a team effort. So like I never like I tend to think of like Christmas Studios as something that's beyond me and Aaron. It's bigger than us. It includes the guys too. So I feel like they're going to fight for this as much as we will because we've been such a tight little family for. I mean. Gosh, you know, almost one fourth of my life at this point. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So back at when you guys started out, um, like I remember uh, the first wedding I saw that you did. It was one in Mongolia. So like that's pretty extreme, and and this was like a, a destination anybody would want to go photograph a wedding. And and from the get go, it seems to me like you two have 
I've always done destination weddings. And that was like back in back in the day, like 2009, let's say. So back then when you were when you were starting out, did you did you focus on becoming a destination wedding brand or did that is that something that just happened? Um, so th- I, I on this and I've thought about this a lot because I never had I've always wanted to be a photographer and travel, but I've never made any conscious decisions to do any of this stuff. What happened was I was I was a wedding photographer in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, which is a des- which is a tourist destination. Um, you know, in my time in Santa Fe, I hardly shot any local weddings. What it mostly was was brides and groups from New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, other parts of the country. They would fly in to Santa Fe, get married, go home. They would get their photos. You know, after a couple months, they'd send their friends would see it, and then those people started hiring me because this was back in 2005 when wedding photography hadn't exploded to the amount of talent that it is right now, right? And back then, I was trying to do, basically, I, I still trying to re- basically replicate what I saw with James Knockway and Yoko Lodfogan and guys from Magnum. I was trying to bring this kind of dark edginess that I, those are the aspects I love about photography into my weddings. I really didn't even give a shit that that's not typically what wedding photography is or should be had no interest in me. I just wanted to shoot like I wanted to shoot. At that time, that seemed that that really was able to stand out back then. Um, and I wasn't trying to make the photos depressing. I was just trying to use the elements that I liked in photography that I saw on the Magnum website and the Seven website and the National Geo guys. So those photos really stood out back in 2005. So their friends would hire me, and those people started ending up traveling for weddings. So our, we really don't have a base of any clientele. And and so, and so we definitely didn't have an agenda to be destination photographers. That's just where our inquiries lead us. Um, we still don't target that. It's just what has happened kind of organically. So people will ask us now, like, how do I become destination wedding photographer? And I have no idea. I don't know how we would do it right now. It just happened to us like we were super lucky. Um, we got in a little bit earlier than all these talented kids right now, and that's, you know, the domino effect has just led us here. But it could all disappear at any point because I have no idea how it got here. So, like, Aaron, how different were your skill sets around that time? Because that sounds like the time when you sort of um, came together and started working together. So skill sets, and what I mean by that is photography skill sets, like how similar and how different were, were you? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, I, before I met Ben, my work was more like purely photojournalism. Um, I felt pretty comfortable working in the documentary format, shooting details, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what one thing that I really learned so much from Ben when I started shooting with him is just his creative portrait work. Um, he took portraits to an extreme that I had never seen before, and so that was um, really exciting for me to learn something new, and it's still something I'm working on now because I feel like he's so amazing at it, and I'm still always trying to, to get to that place, so um, that's always been an exciting part I think you were shaking working your, with him. Ben, I think you were shaking your head there. He doesn't like compliments. No. <laughs> so when you're, when you're starting out, like I bring up the skill set question because I'm curious, like, from the get-go, did you do everything together? Were you, were you branding yourself as a team, or were you doing things individually? And, and just to uh, piggyback that, if you were doing things individually, did you need to sell those skill sets in a different way to clients at that time? It was always the Ben and Aaron show from the very beginning. We had no intention on ever shooting weddings separately or doing anything separately. We were all, we, you know, we went from you know, zero to 100 
right away. Um, as far as skill sets, Erin um, was awesome from the very beginning. She could shoot anything. Um, the only difference was I, like with Lacour, they were they were just more straight documentary and maybe less weird or like yeah, artsy, more classic. Yeah, so it took like I would say about six months of us. You know, going back and forth in the editing process, especially for the slideshow, to say, "Oh, that's just a photo you shot through a wine glass. Why, you know, it's so, you know, it's not that good, or it's why, why are you doing that?" Yeah, I had to learn how to be harder on myself because uh, um, the the sort of photo editing process, and what I mean by when I say editing, I mean you know choosing photos that you're going to put in your portfolio. Um, the editing process that Ben had learned over the years through mentoring with Earth. Through, uh, being mentored by other photographers like James Knockway, it's a very hard. It's a process that's very hard on the photographer, and you have to um, have extremely high standards, and you can't let these like so-so photos slip through because it'll it'll hurt you in the end. And so um, that was hard for me to to learn to just. So were you showing too much in the beginning, or have you always been pretty critical on yourselves about not letting subpar work slip through the cracks? Well, I think I, this is the big shift. I think, well, Aaron and when she was with the core, they were making slideshows for the client, right? Yeah. And we, and I always, in my frame of mind, was I was making slideshows for me. And I'm not saying that selfishly because I feel like when I'm making slideshows for me, I'm also making them for the client because that's why they hired me to do it. So my, the level of edit, of critiquing that I was trying to be at was what I was trying to see in my idols at Magnum and Seven and those guys. So I was trying to compare my work to them, not compare my work to being a wedding photographer. And to me, those are very different ideals and thought processes of how you show your work. So when we do slideshows now or blog, it's like, okay, would that, if Magnum had a wedding agency, would it go on that? Okay. You know, that's that's a, kind of a crazy concept, right? That's never going to happen. But that's the standard I'm, we're thinking about versus is this a good wedding picture? We want it to be a good picture first. Being a good wedding picture almost doesn't even exist. So, okay, like, so you were actually mentored under, like, James Natchway. Is that right, Ben? I can't say that. I took a workshop um, with Gary Knight okay. in, in Asia, and um, Anthony Crossville and James Natchway were part of that workshop. Um, and it ins insanely helped me. Like 15 minutes, you know, with having Nakway look over my work, I, I learned more in those 15 minutes than I had in five years working with this Well, he, he's obviously a legend. And a quote, I, I'm probably saying the quote wrong, but basically what a quote James Natchway said was the, the death of the photographer is, is fatigue and boredom. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe he's a war photographer, so he can say that, but I think it can no, apply. No, he says that all the time. Yeah. So with with you, Ben, like you've been doing this a long time. So how do you like avoid boredom? Um, I don't get, you know, I think when I was a little kid, I remember my mom, I, me telling her I was bored and her getting furious with me because I should, needed to push my brain more to go have fun or go play in the woods or do something like you should never be bored. So I have an instinct fear of boredom, um, and it's almost it's it, it, it's almost paralyzing to me to even think that I could be bored. So I'm never bored. I always have like these little kind of passion things that I like doing, whether it's you know roasting coffee beans or learning how to process film or whatever it is. So I'm never bored, and I'm not ever bored taking pictures either because 
it's that just self-drive to always try to come up with something that's unique and interesting and even if it's for you. And I think it's internal. It's, a, it's your own drive that you have to have or you don't have. If you get bored really easily, then I don't know why photography would be a good ballgame for you because, you know, there's a lot of waiting. You know, on a wedding day, it's a lot of hurry up and waiting. You sit around cocktail hour, nothing going on. Like, there's a lot of that moments happening. Pound, pound, pound. And I was talking to one of my photographer friends lately, and I was looking over one of his weddings, and I was like, you really turn it on when the moments are good. And he's like, yeah. And I have no, I can't turn it on when the moments aren't good. But you kind of need to. Like, you have to find these little gems, even when it's not staring you right in the face, because I feel like when you just push your, like, momentum is a big word that I have in my head all the time. Like, you have to keep the momentum going to drive the good photos to come out of their shell. Um, but if you let that momentum stop, it's all, it, it'll freeze you. It'll just freeze you up, and then it's really hard to get back over the hump. Like, say after cocktail hour, like sometimes we get really bored at cocktail hour, and then all of a sudden it's first dance, and you're like, you got to turn it back up really fast. But if you kind of are standing with your momentum of like trying to, you know, even if you're trying to take just decent portraits of everyone at the cocktail hour, you'll keep your juices going. So when those moments arise, you're ready. And whenever I start to feel bored, I just try to think. I, t I remind myself, if you're feeling bored right now, you're either in the wrong room physically or there's something happening in this room that you're missing. And so either I just walk out and find somewhere else to shoot or look harder, look in a corner that I hadn't tried before, try a new angle, and um, that always gets me out of it. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But I think if anyone, any photographer ever feels bored, that is on them to change, not that they need to wait for the situation to change. It has to start internally first. And when it starts, when you make that decision to say, I'm not bored, I'm going to find something, then all of a sudden, you know, miraculous things start happening instead of just putting it on the situation. If you're blaming the situation for not having good photos, then you're going to be a lousy photographer your entire life. Well said. So artistically, I, I, I really like what you just said, that that makes sense in my brain. So artistically, um, the boredom, you know, you can avoid that in certain ways. But on the other side of the spectrum, running your own business, um, you're entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially, do you ever feel like with your business structure and things that you're doing, maybe marketing wise or things like that, do you ever feel like you get bored in that sense? And if you, if you have, do you, can you point back to a specific thing that you had to do with your business to make a big adjustment to get out of that rut? Man, I love running my own business. Like Aaron and I, every single one of our days is completely different than the day before. Um, you know, we, we feel, I, I personally feel extremely lucky. Like, I was just telling Aaron a couple, like Sunday night, like, because it was Sunday night and I was thinking about like her parents going to work or just people going to work in general and wondering whether they actually dread that Monday morning. I can't ever remember a day where I dreaded going to work. Like I, it's funny, like the days that we shoot, Aaron's out of bed first, like, and she's raring to go. And I'm paralyzed with fear those days. And like, so I, I will sleep as long as possible, even if it means I don't eat breakfast. But days when we're home, I can't wait to I can't wait to go to sleep, so I can't wait to get up in the morning, so I could start working. Um, so I love being a business owner. Um, I like the business work. I like shooting. Um, I like all of it. And I think there's always a fear that something will happen and we won't be able to do this job anymore. Like um, clients lose interest in our work, or 
whatever, you know, we've just moved to a new city. That's now a new challenge. So it's like, I think the fear of getting, of, of being able to sustain our business is what keeps it fun because the next week and the next month and next year is not really a sure thing. It's not guaranteed for wedding photographers because we're all working for ourselves. So we're, we're always trying to come up with new strategies just to stay, to keep doing this. Okay. That's a good segue then to, to the next thought I had, like businesses go through life cycles and when you need to restart the life cycle, it's, it can be a tedious, intimidating prospect. So do you feel that in all the years that you've, you've done this, you, you've reached a point where you feel like the life cycle needs to start again. And, and if you did feel that way, what sort of like strategies do you feel you implemented to, to kind of kickstart the growth again? Can I say something yeah. real quick? Yeah. Sergio, um, Lopez had a, a, a great um, talk about this in the, at the Romania Fearless Conference recently, and he's um, and he it was uh, called the S curve, I think, right? Where it's like your business is going really well and really well, and then if you don't change it or mess it up a little bit or tweak it, then it starts going down, right? So I thought that was an amazing talk, and I, it really reminded me of us in a lot of ways. And we're going through this right now because. You know, we've been in San Francisco for so long, everything's going great now, and then all of a sudden we're going to move to the South, which is a, a kind of a crazy part of the United States, which is, you know, very much kind of about who you know and, you know, the old way of doing things. So we're trying to restart a business in a brand new part of the country where we don't know anyone and we have zero, zero local work. We have no potential weddings booked here. We have nothing coming in in regards to Charleston weddings. So all our work is based off leaving Charleston. So we're very much in that kind of transition period now to we, we, we really kind of have, we're almost like starting over a brand new business here because we do want to work locally more here in Charleston. We like being here. I miss Charleston when we're away. Like it's a great city. I'm absolutely in love with it. And I don't want to leave it all the time like I, I used to. So so what do you do then? I mean, like, like for you to, or for your brand, obviously, logically, it's a little bit easier, the transition. You, you're well-established. I'm sure that all the wedding photographers there are shitting themselves that you're going to swoop in yeah. and take all their business or, or maybe they're not. But like my point is, is like you have a reputation that's going to help the transition be a little bit easier. But let's say you didn't have that that reputation. Like, how do you make that adjustment to a new market? Well, actually, we really don't have that reputation here in Charleston. The coordinators here don't know who we are. No clue. So um, so it's actually sort of it's scary, but it's also fun. I'm kind of starting over. I'm I'm. I'm cold calling, like cold emailing um, the coordinators in town and just introducing ourselves and just saying, hey, we're the new guys in town and we'd love to meet up with you. So it's kind of, it's fun because it's the stuff that we had to do like, you know, 10 years ago, whatever, when we were first starting our own businesses, kind of reaching out and getting our name out there. So we're doing it all again and it's kind of starting fresh in that way. I think it's a fun process to kind of think about being able to reinvent yourself, um, you know, and just being humble is essential, right? You can't go in this, have this, in this business and have a big ego because it's not going to come back to you whatsoever. Um, you know, these brides that are contacting you, they don't know who Christmas Studios is. They, they've never looked up Christmas Studios or a wedding photographer in their life, so they don't know us from anyone else. So, um, so if it's a person that's just getting started, I think they've got to do what Aaron's doing, and we're trying to think up new business strategies uh, with referrals. We're, tr we're trying to meet as many people, but yeah, I mean, one of the best advices I've ever received was when I first started shooting weddings in 2005, a photographer named Michael Cody, who was my earliest mentor, um, said that people, don't ref people refer people they like. That you can be the best photographer in the world, but if you're an asshole, no one's going to want to work with you. 
So, and you don't even have to be that good a photographer, but as long as you're nice, you will get work. So, I think being a good person and being nice to people and putting people in front of yourself is the key proponent in having a successful business. I don't know any assholes that are good, successful wedding photographers. Seems to me, it seems to me like you two are, I mean, you're, there's a lot of assumptions here, but it seems like maybe destination weddings, you know, maybe might teeter out in favor of trying to create a more local presence um, for you down the road. And it's interesting because like Jonas Peterson seems to be doing that as well. He sort of set himself up in Byron Bay. When I talked to Ferraristi, he says the same things. He wants to do things more locally. Jakob and myself in Sweden, we would love to not travel every single weekend. So what are your, so I bring all this up because I'm curious what you think about like destination wedding photography as, as a trend, which it feels to be at the moment. Yeah, good luck getting it. Like we have no choice but to be destination photographers. Even when we're in San Francisco, uh, I think Mauricio does a good job of getting local weddings, but really don't have a, we never had a presence there either. So we had, we've, if airlines went out of business, we would go out of business. We had no work outside of traveling, so we had no choice. Um, I think destination weddings have been a fad, or not a fad, but something that people want to do for, for several years now. But it's funny, I just took a budgeting workshop by a doctor here in, local, in town named Richard Esposito, Esposito, and he was just talking about how he won't take destination work anymore, besides like maybe once a year, because your return is so much less than shooting a local wedding. Because what, what what happens when Aaron and I go shoot a wedding? You know, if we say we fly somewhere, we have dinner that night, that costs us, you know, fifteen hundred bucks. Then we stay an extra day just to make before the wedding just to make sure we get there on time. So there are all these added expenses. So by the time you come out of a destination wedding, you really don't make that much money. Um, you can charge all you want, but it's still going to cost you a lot because a lot of these places that we go they're all inclusives or you, we don't have that many options. There's certainly not a Taco Bell down the street that you can go to get dinner at. Yeah, and, so, and you're also missing three days of office work because like, we usually go on a Thursday and come back Sunday, maybe Monday if we have to shoot something on Sunday. So, I mean, you're missing a lot more office time than you would if you are doing local stuff. Yeah. The only, I think the only people that need to be doing destination weddings are single people or traveling couples that, you know, are free. Um, and but certainly don't do it because you think you're going to make more money. You can make more money shooting locally than you can being on the road. So earlier you you just like you said Junebug and they came to mind because recently they announced some awards and for destination wedding photography and and if you look at the majority of wedding blogs it seems like you know the epic stuff is the stuff that's going to get shown and and everything has to be epic and normally that comes from destination weddings. So you two, in my mind, were kind of like the ones who uh, kickstarted how great destination weddings can be. And I haven't been doing this that long, but nonetheless, that's like what I associate you two with is the people who started the destination wedding thing. So do you see yourself as trendsetters? And if you do, do you see like a trend that's next that maybe you two would strive to go for? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've never, I think destination wedding photography was around a lot, you know around a lot longer than we've been around. Um, as far as like the epic, epic, epic portraiture, I guess. You know, I, I, I don't know how that started either. Um, yeah, you're a good interviewer. You really stumped us. <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as future trends, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, every time I see Eric and Lenny's work, I mean, I'm just mesmerized by how beautiful those photos are and that, those backdrops. I mean, we don't see backdrops like that. Um, 
one thing we do feel like it's important is when we do go to a location to show that location. Um, so I think just in our regard, like say we were to go to Mongolia, we had we felt an insane pressure to show Mongolia. Um, and generally that's a landscape photo, right? And so I've never been that big into landscape photography. I didn't grow up looking at National Geo landscape photography, but I do like them when there's a person in them. So when I started doing it, I just tried to find a hole to put the people in. And, you know, and our brides would make fun of us, call it, call it or one of our brides' dads called it, where's Waldo? <laughs> and I thought that was actually perfect. <laughs> um, but I think that, I mean, I, I think that my style of pictures perfectly reflects, like, my personality and Aaron's stuff, too. Um, well, I, I'm just thinking about it now that I'm sitting here. You know, we're um, members of the Fearless Photographers Collective, and those guys are always really pushing boundaries to try new things. And I, I think if there's going to be a, a new trend that I'm seeing starting to emerge, it's just wedding photographers being more and more adventurous, um, seeing where they can go, uh, boundaries they can push, um, places they can get into that maybe they wouldn't have tried a few years ago. So it's sort of, I mean, I think the epic portraits kind of led us to that point where people are thinking, we've seen it all at this point. What can we do to, to do something different now? So, yeah, just, just pushing themselves even harder to try new things. Yeah, and a good example, I think, that was just like going to back to someone like, uh, you know, Aaron Morris, who makes the audience, like where they saw the standard of weddings and they thought, oh, I'm going to do it better. And now, you know, you've got these Mauricios out in the world. And someone's going to come along and see Mauricio stuff and see how, like, how weird and trippy it is and think, oh, I can make it even trippier. And so what you're just going to see this continual elevation to where it might not even resemble wedding photography anymore. It's just, and it might not even feel like photography. That my big concern is that the, the new generation isn't basing photography off like the foundation that I feel like I have, like, like we're actually shot a film camera, not that that means anything, you have to do that, but it's like founded in this, these ideals of like documentary photography or like the actual photo is real. <laughs> like this really happens. And so what I feel like I'm seeing now is just con completely contrived stuff. And it's not my place to say whether it's good or bad. I don't, I, you know, it's just what it is now. And I think that envelope is going to continue to be pushed to where you're going to have no idea whether that was a real, really happened or not, but it's not going to matter because it's just a conceived idea. And so it's almost like art, but it's not really photography. It's, it's conceptual art. Yeah, that's something that actually really bothers me and worries me because I do, I just want to know what's real. I don't want to hear that a, a sky was photoshopped in from another photo or, or, or birds were inserted into the image. Like, because that, for me, part of the thrill of being a photographer is waiting for those things to line up, waiting for those birds to fly through or that looking outside and seeing that the sunset has just exploded in color and running out there to capture that. So. Yeah, that's going to eventually make us, you know, the old curmudgeon photographers in the industry. <laughs> yeah, like, is that even like, real? Yeah, that photo's not real. And they'll say, oh, you're just an old man, you know? But who cares if it's real or not? Um, but I think we're bordering on that, you know, being a, being what you're going to see in contests and things like and that. And people probably so. wonder that about our photos. We get asked that all the time, like, what did you do to, you know, what did you, what, you know, whatever. What did you do is in Photoshop real? to make this happen? And we shoot through a lot of weird stuff, but, I mean, we find that weird stuff on the scene, which is what makes but, it kind of fun. Yeah, our ethics, though, are still with journalism, where you don't manipulate things. We will push things in Photoshop to the point where 
like we want it to look like slide film. We want our black and whites to look like classic black and white, but then we want the color to look like I saw in National Geographic growing up with shooting chrome. I don't like this pastel film look. I can't stand it, but I do like slide film. So that's where all our saturation comes from. But beyond that, like we're not manipulating things massively just because I've got to feel that it's a real image. Um, and when you take that away from me, I'm not interested at all because, because that's not photography anymore. That's just art. And uh, I never want to be a graphic designer. <laughs> I just want to be a photographer. So it's, you two have been doing workshops for quite a while, right? Like for how long? Like when did, what year did you do your first workshop? Hosting, I mean. Beach House? 2010. 2010, maybe. 2009 or 2010. Yeah, four or five years. So what, what's been the biggest difference that you've seen in terms of the um, students' expectations from you um, from when you first started doing them to now? Well, at the beginning, like off-camera flash wasn't that widely used. And so a lot of it was just ba incorporating basic off-camera flash. Like, okay, underexposed this room, hit them with flash, and depending on how, you know, cool your room is, depending, you know, you're going to get a different photo each time. Now all the young kids know how to do that, so now you're, it's like, you have to go into the question of why are you doing this? Why are you just, is it because you think it's cool? Is it because you like the style of photography? Is it because you, everyone else is doing it? Like, what is that photography saying about you as a, a photographer? And is it important? And do you need to do that? Because otherwise you're just going to look like everyone else on Fearless. So now our teaching has to be a lot deeper than it was because back then people were just interested in knowing how to do it. Now they know how to do it. Now we have to challenge it to say, why are you doing it? Is this who you really are? Or is, are you just really good at copying Vina nice. Daniel or Erica and Lenny? Like, why are you, what's the, Give me yeah. more to that than you just can do it. Like workshop students that I've seen, they really want to get into the mind of the photographer. Like Ben said, they don't need to know the nitty gritty stuff as much anymore because they're, they're surpassed that stuff. But they really want to know how you think and they want to know how they can see like you do. And that's really hard to, to teach. So all we try to do is like show them how we would handle certain situations and then hopefully when they're faced with that on their own weddings, they will take it in their own direction. Yeah. So if you've been you've been doing it for quite a while then, and I'm like probably hundreds or thousands of students have come, you know, through the Chrisman uh, workshop. A thousand maybe or something like that. What would your guess be? We did eight Casper Christmas. They were ten each. That's eighty. So then we've done some other stuff, and then we've done the foundation workshops, which I think are the best workshops in the planet. So um, so let's just go with a thousand. So I'm curious, like Aaron, maybe you can jump in with this one. Like financials aside, if you've you know, taught a thousand students and you've been doing it for a number of years, like what's motivating you to continuing to continue hosting workshops and things like that? Like what does it get to you? Well, when we launch a new workshop every time it's it's answering demand for it, honestly. Ben and I don't want to be full time teachers. We want to still be photographers. We want to keep shooting. We're still pursuing wedding work, very hardcore. And so uh, the teaching stuff just comes when people ask us to do it, honestly. And with all, like with all workshops, there's, it's really fun just meeting, meeting new photographers. And, and we always take a little bit of um, each photographer's work and personality into our own work and our own approach. So 
Um, and it's just fun. It's fun, you know, being with a group of photographers and hanging out for several days and just kind of geeking out and, and, and being able to escape from your normal life and just and just focus on fun photos. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I just like being in that environment. Like, like beyond Chris Max, we have no plans to do any other workshop. Um, we might, but it's we ne financially we never go into the next year thinking, oh, we're going to do three workshops. The plan is always to do no workshops and just shoot because that's what we like the best. It's once because workshop teaching scares the shit out of me. Like once we're in the middle of it, it's just like shooting engagement session or a wedding. You're completely absorbed and you're there and you're present. But the anticipation is really scary because you're worried about am I going to do I know enough in my brain to be able to teach these people? Everyone's so good now. Like what what more do I have to give? Um, that they don't know already, so that fear is huge. Um, so I don't love that fear. It's it's not like I'm thriving off that, and we're certainly not teaching for the money. Um, but as long as the demand is there, then we will probably figure out a way to make it happen. Um, but it's not an intentional thing, just like shooting destination weddings, that we you know strive to be this. So when you like back in the day when you first started, did you consider yourselves teachers? Did you have any interest in, in going down that road when you first started this? I actually had a conscious decision that then I knew I'd never want to teach. I always just want to be a shooter. Because what I saw was back then photographers who became teachers never shot anymore. So they got so outdated with the technology or what's going on. So they weren't relevant. So what they're teaching didn't matter anymore. And I never wanted to get to that point. Now things have kind of merged where you can shoot and teach at the same time and you still know what's going on because you're very much you're shooting, you know, you know what Lightroom 6 is, kind of things like that. And I would, But the teachers didn't work staying relevant. Um, and that's where my decision was like, I don't want to ever be that person. I just want to be a full-time shooter until I die and that's it. Um, yeah, we want to constantly have fresh work and we want to keep pushing ourselves. We don't ever want to have to show photos that we shot five years ago as examples of, of what we can do. Oh, fair enough. So with like the, the wedding industry is like, it's like a kind of a bubble in my opinion and everyone's in it and you know, people are highly active on uh, different groups and things like that. And it's kind of cannibalizes itself in a way to where everyone is kind of doing the same thing. And you know, that's a pretty loose uh, conclusion. But my question for you is like, do you, how, close a tab do you keep on the industry do you feel like you're you're on the pulse of it or do you consciously block it all out and just do your own thing i feel like i know what's going on but i make a conscious decision to not be too much in the know um facebook freaks me out if i get on that too long i just get depressed so i don't try to stay super obsessed with it but i also know like i feel like I I'm not losing touch on what wedding photography is right now. I'm just not trying to be the poster boy of it. <laughs> but but you might be <laughs> the Christmas studio. Like what I mean is like your work might be just that unconsciously. I think that yeah, there's so many great shooters out there right now that I mean, it's it, that blows my mind. Like how how good these people are. I mean, that when you talk about being depressed, like I see these all these photos on the feed, and I'm fearless. Like holy crap, this is like. At that point, I have to just shut it off and just say, hey, I'm going to do my own thing or I take my own pictures and see where it goes and not try to keep up with these, you know, 23-year-old kids that are doing stuff that I don't, I, I, sometimes I don't even know what they're 
Yeah. So to to jump back to um, the entrepreneurial side of the business, like if I'm just to make a big assumption, Aaron, my guess would be like you're maybe doing a little bit more of the admin work. Because I think you said earlier that you have a lot of emails to answer. So you said something like that. Is, is that true? Yeah. I mean, I'm doing the general running of the studio. Um, I talked to all the clients and handled bookings and things like that. Okay. So like running a studio with as high demand as, as Chrism Studios has, like what's the one thing that keeps you organized better than anything else? And did you have a specific uh, event that kind of spurred that lesson to happen? Um, to be organized? <laughs> okay, so that, no, no. I, Aaron's very organized to begin with, but yeah, I mean, sorry, besides I like Tabe or online system, yeah, or or just like a a workflow process for you personally. Do you wake up in the morning and do five hours of work and then shut it down for the rest of the day, or do you have a software that you can't live without, or like how do you stay organized with a with a studio that's in such a demand as Christmas Studios? Um, a lot less sleek than you'd think. <laughs> uh, I change that a lot too, actually. Um, like one thing, this is really lame, but I like to write things down. So I keep a lot of paper lists and I like to keep them spread out in front of me and I cross things out as I get them done. But I do that combined with Wonderlist, the app Wonderlist. And we both really love that. Um, I just love using Gmail. Honestly, it's a way for me to, it's a super organized form of, you know, uh, email process and, um, combined with that, we have Tave, our studio management software, and um, actually we've just kind of been using Tave for five years, sort of freestyle, and I haven't really taken a lot of control over the organization of it, but that's what it, that's been my project this week, just kind of overhauling the whole thing and organizing leads into different categories, and so yeah, it's kind of been really refreshing. So when you... When you were doing the, um, the business, this photojournalism business, with the, I think you said it was four people before you joined up with Ben. Like when you yeah, were, it was when, a wedding business. It was, it was before. Yeah, it was, full of, it was all weddings. They just, they were all came from newspapers. So it was photojournalism style. Right. Okay. So what did you take from that um, in terms of running a business that you apply to Christmas Studios today? Or did you just take it all and, and just apply it directly? Probably one of the things I took the most from LaCour into, um, to Christmas Studios is how to work with clients and how to handle clients. So, I mean, I did a lot of the studio management there as well, but um, we were, I guess, considered a high-end studio in the Southeast, and so we dealt with um, very wealthy families and very demanding mothers of brides, and so it really taught me just um, how to work well with the people that maybe aren't exactly like me, not from the same income level as me, so... Um, so with a like, if I'm just going to make a conclusion from that, it sounds like building relationships is what you did then, and it's what you're going to be doing next, well, or now um, with this newest transition that you're making. Do you, do you think that people in our little bubble undervalue the importance of relationships because everything is online, everything's digital now? Well, I think that's one thing that we are trying to change within our own studio because we feel like we we started relying a little too heavily on being an online company and just assuming that people would find us through our SEO and, and, and slideshow links and things like that. Um, and so we are one of the uh, changes we've been making is just trying to get on the phone more. Um, and Ben's been doing that, actually. I w when I have a good lead that sounds promising, I get Ben on the phone with them, and he just has a person-to-person a, you know, -person conversation and not just asking, like, you know, what are your wedding colors and how many people are going to be there, but interested in getting to know who they are. And so we found, like, 
pushing people to talk a little bit more about who they are and what drives them and what they love about their, the person they're marrying and their, their parents, anything like that, has um, not only helped us photograph them better, but has just made them feel more comfortable with us. And so I think going back to a more traditional way of, of dealing with people has become necessary. And that kind of stems. We took a workshop in Vegas right before WPP last year with a guy named Steve Saparito, and he has a company called Intuition to Succeed. He's an Australian guy. He's run a lot of very sex, successful businesses in Australia. And he really kind of forced us to rethink our the way we deal with people. And um, before, you know, by the most part, for the most part, people book us online through email. We never talk to them on the phone. Sometimes I don't know much about them whatsoever before we're driving to the wedding. And I really wanted to change that. And Steve kind of has forced me to realize that I need to be a better, better people person in regards to um, really taking care of people before the wedding. And the way you do that is to you learn more about them and you care about them even before you meet them. And that is going to help your photography, and it's going to actually—it's going to help every part of the process of running your business. If you, if you just take more of an effort to figure out who your clients are, and how to serve them better. So what's old is new again. Yeah, man. <laughs> I say, are you some of these things that he taught me? He taught, I was like, how have I gone this long without knowing this? Why didn't I know this ten years ago when I started my business? Like, how? How do I even have a business at this point without knowing this? We had a lot of duh moments about so our many. job. Like this is so obvious. Yeah. So, well, maybe we can share our duh moments in Stockholm because we've had many of them as well. So, speaking of Stockholm, you've been to a lot of conferences. Um, well, all of them really. You've spoken at pretty much everything you can imagine within the wedding world. So, when you go to a conference now, like, what's your like mindset? And how, compared to when you first spoke at a conference, because you've got a lot of experience now, and and the trends of conferences have changed, at least you know in general topics and things like that. So, what's different from when you first went to conferences to what now when you go to conferences? Well, in the beginning, like I would say, the first conference I ever spoke at was Mystic, and I was by myself, and I basically just showed my portfolio. Um, and now we really feel like we have to share something like I wanted I want people to come away with tangible things that they can quickly apply to their business and more than just being inspirational um, because I know people come like hear us talk j just because they they want that kind of like drive to go out and take pictures but I also want them to come away with something that they can actually apply so my dream would be to get something that where they can make their money back instantly from the ticket they bought to the conference so they feel like they got something like I just want people to. We I just want to be reliable enough to people that they know that they can get something out of us that they can take away. And some of those things I want them to take away right then. And some things I don't want them to be able to take away till six months or a year or two years from now. And they remember something and go, "Oh, I remember Aaron that said that." And so it still pays off years later. That would be my ultimate goal. Beautiful. Yeah, it's really. It's really important to us that conference participants actually walk away with something. I mean, we could show our photos all day and stand up there looking proud, but um, people are people ultimately paying their money to learn something, and so we definitely want them to walk away with something that they can apply right away. Awesome. And what do you know about Stockholm? Nothing. <laughs> really? It's, it's just like most things in my life. I just go in blind and see what happens. That venue is pretty cool, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an old theater. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you so nobody has told you oh you need to do this or that when you get to Stockholm there's nothing that Aaron what about you um we know um the girl with the dragon tattoo that's <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> amazing what I usually do is I read Wikipedia about wherever we're going before we go and so I have like some historical context and then I can start pinpointing things about what I want to do so. okay well it's a beautiful city I, uh, I look forward to meeting you both when you get there yeah. I mean, to us, it's, you know, you could have had it anywhere in the world. It's about the people that are going there more than anything. Like, we're, we're not going there to be tourists. We're going there to do a job. And, um, and we want to just hang out with you guys as much as possible and everyone there. And we can do, if, you know, if we never leave the hotel, we'll be completely happy as well. <laughs> right on. Well, there's a lot of people looking forward to seeing you guys present and meet you in person. So uh, I guess we're only two months away now. We cannot wait to get there. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. Uh, I know Thank that you, you two much. are extremely busy people. And yeah, I uh, look forward to meeting you both. And thanks again for doing this. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. us. Have an awesome day. Bye. Bye. We'll see you in Stockholm, everyone. All right. That's episode nine of the Way Up North podcast. Only one more speaker remaining now and uh, only less than two months until the actual event takes place uh, at the old and beautiful Scandia Theater in central Stockholm. If you have any thoughts about the event or about this podcast, whatever it might be, uh, please let us know either by emailing info at wayupnorth.co or by contacting us in any of the social media channels. Uh, Way Up North 2015 is our handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. That's it for this time. Talk soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.